welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Again, open your Bibles to Isaiah 61. And we're going to read the uh, entire chapter this morning, or go through the entire chapter. We're going to break it up in little pieces. Uh, and we're going to look at three aspects uh, of the text. Uh, and it's going to be laid out as the, in the following way. We're going to talk about the, the redemption of the Lord's people. We're going to talk about the restoration of the Lord's people and the rejoicing of the Lord's people. And we're going to see that this morning in the text. And again, Isaiah, uh, God is going to use Isaiah to do this for his people. And so let's look at verses one through three this morning. And again, this is the, we're going to see the redemption of the Lord's people and how God is going to bring that about. And so let's read. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. So right from the very beginning, Isaiah is talking, I believe Isaiah is talking about himself, and we'll see in a moment how this text is used by Jesus as he applies that he is the fulfillment of this. But for now, and for the historical context, I believe Isaiah is talking about himself, how God is going to use him to proclaim, as he says, the good news to the afflicted. Again, Isaiah is going, has been telling Israel, you know what, you're going into exile. Uh, God is, because of the judgment God is bringing upon you, but he is gonna, there's going to be a time in the future where he brings you back to the land of the nation of Israel. And we talked a lot about that last week in Isaiah chapter 60. And we're going to mention, you know, just touch on a few aspects of it again here in Isaiah 61. But that good news he's bringing them is, you know what? God is going to bring you back. Again, like this morning's worship song, God's going to bring you back to life, right? From death to life, from wrong to right. This is what God is doing. And so this is the message I believe Isaiah is proclaiming to the afflicted. He's bringing that good news. And you look at what Isaiah says about this. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted with this news. He's going to proclaim liberty to the captives because, again, they're going to be held captive in exile. And he's going to bring this message from God, and God is going to save them and bring them back. He's going to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. And he's going to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. When prophets use this kind of terminology, this favorable year of the Lord, it's talking about how God is going to do something great. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an entire year or one day. It is, a, it is basically saying this moment God is using is, is uh, His year of the favorable year of the Lord. It's favorable to His people. 
God is going to save them. God is going to rescue them. And the flip side of that is God is going to proclaim vengeance on those people who have held them captive. And so whenever God comes and saves his people, it's at the detriment to the other side for those who are not the Lord's. God judges those who have been holding his people captive and frees his own people. If you think about this in relation to the end times, when God comes back for his church, he's going to literally free us from our prisons here on earth, so to speak, and he's going to bring vengeance on the rest of the world, those who are not his. And so this is what Isaiah is saying. When there's a favorable year of Lord, there's also vengeance and judgment on those people who are not the Lord's. And he goes on to say in uh, chapter in verse 3, to continue this, uh, this reversal of fortunes, this redemption, he's going to comfort those who mourn. All those who are mourning right, in Zion are God's people. He's going to deliver them. He's going to take their mourning away. He said he's going to give them garlands instead of ashes. And actually, if you have a King James or maybe a New King, New King James version, it'll say beauty. He's going to bring beauty is going to give them beauty for ashes. It's that, again, from, life to, to, uh, from death to life. And actually, that's the title of this morning's sermon, Beauty for Ashes, how God is going to make something beautiful from something that was so wrong, so evil, so ugly. Right? It's beauty for ashes that God is giving His people, taking them out of captivity, bringing them to their homeland, taking away their mourning, as verse 3 tells us, taking away their affliction, and there's going to be no more fainting, right? He's going to strengthen them. It says the mantle of praise he's going to give them instead of the spirit of fainting. God's going to strengthen his people. And that's what Isaiah is saying. Hold on to the Lord. God is going to save you. And even that news in itself should strengthen his people as they are about to go into captivity. One thing to note here at the end of verse 3 is why God always does this. It's ultimately for God's glory, right? He says, so that they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. God saves His people in order to glorify Himself. We are recipients of His salvation, but in our salvation, He glorifies Himself. And you're going to see this throughout the chapter this morning. So here again, Isaiah is laying out this redemption of the Lord's people. And as you may know already, as you, as you hear these first two verses, this sounds familiar because Jesus himself reads from this section of the Old Testament in Luke chapter 4. Turn there with me in your Bibles, Luke chapter 4, and we are going to look at verses 16 through 21. And so this, as, as we go through the text this morning, I'm going to do a couple of things. One, I'm going to show you how this relates to the nation of Israel, who Isaiah is speaking to at this time, those who are left, and how it applies to you and to me, the New Testament church. And Jesus here, again in, in Luke chapter 4, shows us how this applies to the New Testament church. So in verse 16, we read this, And he came to Nazareth, speaking of Jesus, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And, he, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written. So Jesus reads from this section and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he says, the author of Luke, and he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. They were fixed on him because now Jesus was going to give the interpretation of the scripture that he just read. And this is the interpretation in verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying what the Isaiah, the prophet prophesied about the nation Israel back in Isaiah 61 is now being fulfilled in a much bigger way, a more realized way here at Jesus' time where Jesus is now preaching the gospel to the poor. Jesus is now proclaiming release to the captives. Now, it's not that Jesus is literally going into prisons and opening up the prison cells and letting people out. He's talking about spiritually releasing them from the captivity of their sin, from the captivity of Satan. Recovering sight to the blind is, can, be, can mean he's literally uh, giving sight to people, which he does. But I believe the more accurate understanding of this is that he's opening the, the spiritually blind, those who cannot see who he is. And that's what he is doing. He's proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord, meaning salvation has come. In Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and how it applies to you and I today. And so let's go back to our text now and look at the second part, which is the restoration of the Lord's people. So God redeems his people, Isaiah said, I'm going to redeem you, right? I'm going to release you from prison, so to speak. And what's going to happen? God doesn't just save you and say, okay, you're saved, that's it. No, He has purpose. He has a plan for the nation and for you and I as New Testament believers. And so let's look first at what it means for the nation of Israel at this time. So it's the restoration of the Lord's people we see in verses 4 through 9. And let's read that. So after the Lord uh, releases them and brings them back to the land, this is what's going to happen. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. So after all of their sinfulness and their destruction of their land and the 70 years where they were gone as it was being destroyed, God is saying, I'm going to bring you back and you're going to look at verse 4 again, rebuild the ancient ruins. You're going to raise up the former devastations and repair the ruined cities. God isn't just going to leave it. He's going to restore his people. And he goes on to say, strangers will stand and, pa and pasture your flocks and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. And you will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. 
for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and the burnt offerings, and I will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will rec- re- excuse me, all who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. So again, the Lord is going to restore His people. This is the uh, great reversal, right? This is the beauty for ashes. The nation of Israel's uh, homeland is in ashes, is in shambles. They themselves spiritually are ashes, but God is going to give them beauty. And again, He's going to do this by having them rebuild, uh, raise up, and repair their homeland. All that was destroyed again because of their sinfulness and their rebellion God will rebuild, raise up, and repair. This is part of the restoration process. Verse 5 speaks of not only uh, rebuilding and repairing and and raising up, but also talks of God's provision. God is going to provide for them again. That's why he talks about flocks will overrun their pastures. Farms and vineyards will grow again. All the things that have been devastated, again, uh, you know, devastated to ashes, will be repaired. It's going to be beautiful This is the language that Isaiah is using to convey this point. But not only will their homes be rebuilt and their land, but also their own covenant with God, their own purpose is going to be restored and renewed. And that's what Isaiah is describing in verses 6 and 7. Once again, Israel will take its place as ministers and priests for the Lord, meaning they're going to represent God This was their purpose. This is what they were called to do. They were supposed to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. And this is what Isaiah is saying. That is going to happen again, right? He says, you're going to be called priests of the Lord and you will be spoken of as ministers of our God. So again, their their covenant with God is going to be renewed. God's going to restore them to their place when they come back. And speaking more on restoration, let's look at verse 8. Here God is saying, you know what? Not only am I going to restore your homeland and your vineyards and your place, I'm going to provide for your sins because they couldn't, right? Every time they were offering up sacrifices for their sin, at least in Isaiah, Isaiah was telling them over and over again, "This God is not receiving it. Because you're not doing it with the right heart. You can't pay for your sins that you've committed against God. And here we see in verse 8, Isaiah saying that, um, that God will faithfully give them a recompense. God will pay for their sins. It is God's doing. God sends them out to discipline them and then God restores them. And we'll see the... Uh, the allusion to how Jesus is our recompense in a more fuller way. Continue on in verse 8. Not only will all these things happen, God will also make an everlasting covenant with them, reestablishing His covenant with them. Even though they've sinned, even though they are getting what they deserve, God says, I'm going to rescue. I'm going to, so, so to speak, reinstill my covenant with you. The other prophets talk about how He's going to restore them with a new heart. in in order that they might follow God. And God is going to do all this again, as I mentioned earlier in verse 3, now in verse 9, 
God is going to use all this as a witness of His great work. That's why He says at the end of verse 9, all who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. God brings Israel back to the land so again so that they might be a light to all the nations. God is going to glorify Himself through His people as they testify of the great character of their God. Now let's see the parallels as we, as we leave this and see, well, how does that parallel us again in the New Testament church? Can these same things be applied to us? Well, I think they can. And because Jesus used this verse at the very beginning, I think we're right in doing so and seeing how this relates to us. Because again, going back to verse 4, not only does God rebuild His nation, He also rebuilds people, all people now because of Christ. Our lives as believers have been rebuilt, raised up, and repaired. That's why, again, we can sing that worship song we sung earlier that we've been raised from death to life. That is what happens when we become believers in Christ. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 5, verse 17 in the New Testament talks about this. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. This is that beauty for ashes where God makes His people brand new from the inside out. Jesus said this as well in John 3, 3 to Nicodemus. You remember when Nicodemus came and said, was asking about the kingdom of God and asking Jesus about who He was. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here we see the parallels that we need to be born again in Christ, new creations. We need to be rebuilt, raised up, and repaired, just like God's people in Israel. But not only does God do that, just like He did for the nation, He will also provide for us. You remember Pastor John's sermon a few weeks ago when he talked about not worrying and he quoted Jesus' sermon on the mount. I want to do the same here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. The scriptures write, Do not worry then, speaking of Jesus, or Jesus speaking, what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear for clothing. For Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek, uh, seek his king. But first, excuse me. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus telling his disciples and those who would follow him that don't worry about these uh, basic necessities. God is going to provide you, provide those things for you. Now, it may not always look like the thing that we want it to be. It may not be in our timing, but we have this promise. And many believers can testify that God provides for us. God provides for our needs needs because we are His. And as we focus on His righteousness and seeking His kingdom, He will do that for us. Another parallel that we see is that we too have been, as believers, not only have we been called to be saved, we have been called to do something, to be somebody, right? God doesn't call us to the church to just sit in the church, to enjoy His salvation. One of the ways that we enjoy His salvation is to go out and share that with other people. He gives us 
a renewed purpose in life. He gives us our mission. So I can faithfully say that you and I who believe in Christ, I know what we're called to do. I know what God's will is for our life. And I'm going to read that to you in 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 5 and then look at verses 9 and 10. And here we have uh, the Apostle Peter writing to many churches that are scattered abroad. And this is what he calls them and tells them what their purpose is. And that's why I said this, we can say, I can say faithfully, this is our purpose as well. He says this, You also as living stones are being built up as, spirit, as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Just like Isaiah said that God is calling the nation of Israel to be. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then dropping down to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy you see, the Apostle Peter is saying, you know what? The mission that God gave Israel back in the Old Testament to be priests and ministers, it is now applies to you as believers, as people who are part of this same covenant. You too are my priests. It doesn't mean you work in the church. No, it's, if you go back to verse 5, it's you're offering up spiritual sacrifices. We are God's priests. We are His holy nation. We are called to go out and proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. You see, our purpose as believers is to go out and glorify God. And that looks different for each and every one of us in different ways. We are to glorify God, whether it is at home, with our friends, in the workplace, in school, wherever you are, with your family. You are to glorify God. You are to be His witness to all those people around you. You see, not only are we saved, but we are uh, rebuilt, raised, and repaired. We are provided for. We are given a restored and renewed purpose in life as believers. And then we also need to remember that this was all made possible because God made recompense for our sins. Just like He told the nation of Israel, I will give them their recompense. He has done the exact same thing for us. In the form of him, His Son, Jesus Christ, God provided Himself as an offering for His people. God paid for our sins, something we could not do. We cannot do enough good things, be nice enough, be religious enough to Make recompense for our sins. No, it is only Jesus that can do that. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist issued this statement. When he saw Jesus coming, he says this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was Jesus who takes the sin away from the world, from, of your sin and my sin and everybody's sin in this life. God made recompense for our sins. And just like God used all this to glorify Himself through the nation Israel, He does this as well through us. 
we will be used by the Lord for His glory. One commentator wrote this, God saves us from sin and gives us His righteousness and enables us to live out His righteousness. Right? Again, God just doesn't save us to sit in the church. He wants to use us. And again, not so that we can become some great church or some great Christian believer. No, so that we might be used for God's glory and give Him all the glory and honor. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to look at verses 14 through 15 and also verses 19 and 20. And speaking of his purpose and the church's purpose, this is what he writes. The love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who might, excuse me, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The Apostle Paul is saying, because of what Christ has done, he died for us. Now, we need to die for him in a sense of, in a, in a sense of we do what God wants us to do, what he's called us to do. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We've been bought. We live for Christ and for his purpose. And verses 19 and 20 tells us what those purposes are. And it says this, He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. A big part of our life as believers is, is proclaiming God's word of reconciliation, calling people to be reconciled to God. God wants to use us in that way. And as I mentioned earlier, it looks different for each and every one of us. Right? Because we have different areas, different gifts that God has given us to use. Whether it's in the home or in the workplace or at school or in the community that you reside in. Whether it's a sporting community. Whatever it is, God wants to use us for His glory. He wants our life to be all about glorifying Him. And so that's part of the restoration. He saves us, He restores our life, and then wants to use our life to glorify Him. And that's what He's doing with the nation of Israel here in Isaiah 61. And then He concludes uh, Isaiah in verses 10 and 11 in really what is the proper response of the Lord's redemption and restoration. How should they respond? Well, Isaiah now speaks for his people. Before he was speaking for the Lord and what the Lord was going to do through him, now he speaks as a recipient of this. And this is where we get our third point, the rejoicing of the Lord's people. Verses 10 and 11. This is the response. He says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself uh, with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the thing sown in it to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations." So the proper response, because of what all God is going to do, what He has done, 
is what? To rejoice in the Lord. That's what Isaiah is saying. We're going to rejoice. We're going to exalt in God. We're going to praise God for what He's done, for their salvation, for them make for Him making them a witness, and because of God's faithfulness. Right? Verse 11 speaks of this. God's going to do this. God is faithful to do this for the nation of Israel, for His people. And the proper response is to receive that and to worship God. And the parallel for us in the New Testament church or the New Testament church is exactly the same. Because of the salvation God has provided for us and given us, because of He makes us righteous. I like what verse 10 says. I want to show that to you before I move on. Verse 10 in Isaiah 61, it gives a great picture of what God does. He says, For He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in the robe of righteousness. This is all God's doing. God gives us salvation. God gives us righteousness. And He says, you just receive it and put it on. Receive my gift. It is God who gives us salvation. It is God who makes us righteous. And it is for God's purpose that we go out and witness and testify to His great work. Now with that said, I want to close with just three points of application this morning. And first I want to speak to those of you this morning who have yet to receive God's salvation, who have yet to receive God's restoration. As God puts out this robe of righteousness, as He puts out this garment of salvation for you, my pleading to you is that you would receive it. Receive God's restoration. Let Him give you beauty for ashes. This is what God promises for those who believe on Him. He has provided it. He will put it on you and He will rebuild you. He will raise you up and He will repair your life. If you know a believer, a Christian in your life, they can testify to how God has either rebuilt their life raised their life up or repaired their life, or all three at some time in their life. Each and every one of us who's a believer in Christ could testify to that fact. Now, I don't know what you're going through in your life or where you are at. If you're like the nation of Israel who generation after generation, year after year, lived uh, an ungodly life, rebelled against the Lord, and they are suffering for their sins, God says, you know what? You may suffer for your sins, but I can recompense them. I can provide a better way. I can provide beauty for ashes. And the same thing is true for you today. Whether is it your marriage, your friendships, your relationships with your family, your relationships at work, and just your life in general. I don't know where you are, but I know this. God can and will, if you let Him, rebuild it, raise it up, or repair your life. I really like that um, Isaiah uses that language in his text. Again, that was in verse 4 about rebuilding, raising up, and repairing. Because God is still in the business of doing that. So again, I pray that you would receive His restoration. And for those of us who are believers, those of us who have already received this robe of salvation, this garment excuse me, the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. What are we called to do? What is our proper response? What is exactly what Isaiah said in verses 10 and 11? It is this, let us 
rejoice and exalt, or let us worship the Lord for what He has done for us. Rejoicing and exalting in the Lord is really, we boast in the Lord. And that's really what we do when we worship God. We are boasting in God, right? How good God is, right? We said, you, for you are good, you are good. We're praising God. We're exalting in what God has done for us. Worship isn't about, well, we come here just to get entertained or get ready for the sermon. It's, you know, it's like the pregame warm-up. No, we're fully involved in praising God and exalting the Lord. I like what David said in Psalm 145, verses 1 and 10. He says this. He says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever, ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. That is really the spirit behind what Isaiah is saying. Here at King David, uh, something has happened in his life. I don't know what happened at the time of his writing of this, but he is realizing how awesome God is. He's not only going to praise him for the moment. He says, every day I want to praise you. Every day I want to worship you, and I'm going to do it forever. And that is really that really should be our attitude as believers. We shouldn't reserve worship for Sunday before the sermon or after the sermon. When you realize what God has done for you, when you realize what He has in store for you, that should cause us to always want to shout for praise and glorify God. And if you don't have a time of worship in your life on a daily basis, I would challenge you as a believer to do that. And I would even ask you, why not? Why don't you praise God with the music that you listen to. Now, that doesn't mean you always have to listen to worship songs. But I would say that should be a part of our, our daily activities of worshiping God. I'm reminded, and, and you see this in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, over and over again, when God blesses somebody, they exalt in the Lord. In, in the Old Testament, I'm reminded of Hannah, when she was promised that she would have a child she says that she exalts, her heart exalts in the Lord. Or remember Mary when she was told that God would give her the son who would be the savior of the world. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, my soul exalts in the Lord. It reminds you of that, of that song we sing usually during Christmas time. My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. Is it too early to sing Christmas songs? I know it's late September, but you know Christmas songs are just worship songs anyways, beautifully done. The point being is that we as believers, recognizing all that God has done for us, we should have a life of worship. Let us worship and rejoice and exalt in what God has done for us as individuals and collectively as a church. And finally... Let us testify to the world of His great work. Let us testify to the world of His great work. Again, God doesn't save us and resurrect our lives so that we might sit there. No, He wants us to get out there and glorify Him. I liken it to a sports team, right? You don't join a, a team in sports to just put on the uniform and sit on the bench. No, you want to get out there and play. You want to be part of the team. And I would encourage you as believers to be a part of the team. Your role, as we've seen, is to go out and be priests and ministers, a royal, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, ambassadors for God. Go out there and live for God. Glorify God in your words and in your deeds.
He saves us and He wants to use us. I'm reminded of this. I'll give you this last verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And talking about our purpose again as believers. He says, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And he concludes that verse. In, so we were made for good works. For what purpose? That we might walk in them. That we might go about doing them. Good works, again, not to earn salvation, but because of salvation. Because of what God has done for us, we want to go out and work for Him. And He's prepared for us and made us ministers and priests and ambassadors of the gospel. And I pray this morning that you would do those things for His glory because you recognize all that He's done for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You so much for your word. We thank you that you have preserved it so long and that it continues to speak to us today. So again, Lord, I pray that your word would speak to those who have yet to receive your restoration, your salvation. And Lord God, that they would put on that garment of salvation and that robe of righteousness that you have prepared for them. And they would become your children and they would live to glorify you in this life. Lord, that they would allow you to rebuild, to restore, and to raise their life up from the dead and from shambles, from all that they have made it. That is your desire, and you want to glorify yourself in the process. And Lord God, for those of us who have already received that restoration and that salvation, help us, Lord God, to be witness to, witnesses to you in this world. Help us to rejoice and exalt in your work and, and live a life of worship and live a life out in this world where people will see our good works and will glorify you who's in heaven. We ask for you to help us do that now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.